Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Shine Sparkers podcast. My name is Amanda Van Heil. I'll be your host today. We also have a very special guest. We have Dr. M64. And who else do we have joining us on the podcast today? Uh, hi, I'm Torby. I am the podcast editor. And uh, yeah. <laughs> hi, I'm Roy. I'm the deputy creative director of Shine Sparkers. And uh, I'm really excited about this interview. Um, hi, I'm Milton. I'm from Argentina, and I did a couple of small games here and there. The most popular is uh, M2R, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here with all these wonderful people. Me and Doc go way back, as I um, as I also got the pleasure to uh, to compose some music for uh, for M2R. It was a really interesting process, uh, trying to compose uh, via Skype, without having the proper <laughs> infrastructure to do so. It was super messy, but it was so fun. So. We're going to mainly be talking about Doc's work on AM2R, as well as Ori and the Will of the Wisps. So I get Ori is not a Metroid game, but Metroidvania means taking yes. all the influence from Metroid. So you know what? I say it counts. <laughs> there is enough influence there. So yeah, I think it counts. Exactly. So we're going to be doing an interview going over your work with AM2R and Ori of the Will of the Wisps. I can't wait to hear all of your experiences there. <laughs> and it's going to be a, a, just a multiple person interview. We're all going to be asking questions because there's a lot we'd all like to know. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Now, some of our listeners here might not have heard of AM2R. Uh, so for those who are unfamiliar with it, could you explain the project? Ooh, okay, where to start? So, basically, AM2R is yet another Metroid 2 remake, besides the official one. And, um, yeah, mine came before. That's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, no, basically, AM2R is, uh, has always been... Uh, a nice learning project I had to learn about game design and programming. I picked up Game Maker while I was uh, uh, having some free time in my recording studio back in the day. And uh, eventually through the many months and uh, years that uh, the project took to complete, I stumbled upon many, many awesome people that both contributed to the project and were part of the Metroid community that uh, were always very supportive. And that's pretty much how I met uh, Torby. Now, spending 10 years on just a single project, especially an unpaid project at that, is a huge accomplishment. Like, I, I know how burnout works. It's really easy. I, I'm pretty sure we've all done our share of volunteer work that just went on and on and on on, on a passion project. Um, and that would be what would have kept us going. So what is it that kept you going with Metroid 2 or the, the your version of the remake of it? Well, primarily uh, the community. It's always awesome to get some recognition, some validation on the stuff that you do, especially if uh, you're actually learning in the process and uh, seeing that the work and the hours that you dump into a particular uh, thing do pay off and it's appreciated by a certain audience. That's always awesome. And uh, from the moment that the game became popular until release. Uh, people have always been there uh, with their support, uh, their suggestions, their critiques, and that's super important to me. Um, 
I always set myself a couple of uh, specific deadlines for each demo. Each demo was uh, showcasing a new area that has been recently completed and uh, having those and the feedback of the people to keep building the game um, one area at a time is uh, yeah, it's a way to actually face that without uh, being that uh, overwhelmed by the entire scope of the game. Then again, the project began as something that was a lot more humble, a lot more uh, simple. And as uh, soon as people started volunteering to help out, the scope started increasing a little bit and uh, the results, uh, yeah, it's mostly thanks to all the volunteers that uh, showed up and uh, expanded their portfolio with Aim2R. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's really, it sounds like it was really kind of, uh, that the only way you could do such a big project by yourself was uh, some kind of iterative development, you know, just taking area by area and then moving on. Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, sometimes it's super demotivating that uh, you open Game Maker, you open something that's half finished, and knowing that you're not going to be finishing this in this particular year, it's kind of harsh. Uh, it <laughs> makes it look like uh, it's not ever going to end. But uh, if you divide it into smaller, manageable chunks that you can actually show to the people, whenever something is ready, that made it a lot more manageable. And it mm -hmm. made it easier to organize. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly still just amazed that, that it's a thing, that it's, you know, that it got done. It's amazing. Um, looking back, what could you tell us, uh, what remains your, your favorite thing about, uh, about the game? And uh, as well as that, what, uh, what was the toughest challenge during development? Okay, so... At some point, I started working as a programmer in real life with all the stuff that I learned thanks to the project. And uh, my work philosophy did change when I ported the entire game to Game Maker Studio. Suddenly, I was able to manage the project in a more efficient way. And I started adding uh, some project management uh, tactics into the whole process. Stuff that I had already learned from uh, my programming job. And uh, suddenly, when combining the talent of many people with uh, my very own project, that I was the only one uh, managing the source, uh, it became quite the challenge to manage other people's time, especially if uh, their time is uh, pretty much their free time. And uh, whatever they do, I had to make my best to have their work represented in the game the best possible way. So I have to be respectful of all their work, and uh, it wouldn't it would be a shame if they um, they spend their very precious free time, and uh, I cannot make uh, their material justice. So it's uh, it's very critical that I do not overlap stuff and uh, have two people working on the same asset and having to discard one of their versions, that kind of thing. And uh, making the most of everyone's time was crucial in the last uh, stretch of the game. Um, mm -hmm. I set myself the release date of uh, August 6, that would be the 30th anniversary of uh, the release of Metroid. And mm -hmm. that uh, pretty much optimized our way of uh, managing time. And uh, yeah, it was super awesome to have so many talented people uh, helping out. It was uh, it was kind of surreal. 
And then again, there's way too many disciplines that they had to oversee, uh, going from uh, sprite artists to um, people who are actually helping out with the uh, with the writing and uh, making sure that in each revision there is no contradictions with the current Metroid lore. Um, people that uh, help it out uh, beta testing, making sure that every revision, uh, every time there is uh, some fix, I was able to actually properly document what's fixed. So yeah. Uh, getting into the mindset of uh, actually managing a project instead of being the sole developer, uh, that was quite a challenge. But then again, in the process, I did learn a lot. And a lot of that uh, philosophies helped me out a lot in my current work. Hmm. And what was uh, what remains your favorite thing about the game itself? Um, making the bosses. I did oh. learn quite a lot on them. Uh, and uh, the Metroid Queen was super fun to make. There's stuff that I would have liked to polish a little bit, especially uh, on the end, but uh, making that particular creature with all the uh, small technology thingies that are going on there, with all the puppetry that uh, has to be done to make it look like a real creature, that was super fun. And it was really nice to actually have that uh, pretty late in the game. I was able to apply a lot of my uh, knowledge that I have accumulated throughout the years to actually make that uh, very optimized and performant, so yeah, it was it was super fun to design and implement. So Doc, I wanted to ask about your initial reaction uh, to Samus Returns when it was announced. Uh, Samus Returns obviously is another official Metroid 2 remake, and it came out less than a year after uh, your version came out. So I was curious about your initial reaction to the announcement and uh, how, you're, how you were feeling. Well, it certainly was something I was not expecting. Um, my first... I mean, I do remember that I was very amazed by the mini cutscenes that happened during Metroid fights. And that kind of flexibility and uh, that epicness that uh, can be achieved with a 3D engine is something that I never envisioned in any Metroid 2 scene that I tried to recreate. So having to see that kind of take with that kind of technology was uh, really interesting. I mean, I actually looked at the screen and said, wow, so this is what a Metroid fight looks with a budget. This is actually interesting. So, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it felt a little bit weird that uh, they chose the 3DS as the platform. Um, but then again, I eventually got myself a 3DS and gave the game a go, and it's actually pretty good. I think I remember um, you had uh, sort of recapped your playthrough on your blog. Yeah, and, I mean, you were saying it was a the, it was uh, a very precarious kind of let's play because uh, I didn't have any way to capture the footage, and if I did, I'm not that experienced on actually playing and talking at the same time. So I had a notepad open, and uh, every time I had some interesting moment, I just paused the game, wrote down a couple of notes, and then continue playing. And yeah, those were pretty much my reactions one at a time as I went through the game. I think you had said that. Uh, the ending of Samus Returns was pretty fan servicey, like uh, even more so than yours uh, was. Yeah, I definitely agree there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's official. It's backed up by uh, 
the real Nintendo and uh, the story there is supposed to be what really happens. But then again, I found that the final final boss was a little bit unnecessary. Even if the fight is amazing, I mean, mechanically speaking, the fight is super dynamic and it's super challenging. I really, really enjoyed it. But uh, then again, I had a very specific vision about what the ending was for Metro 2, how the tone and execution was, and uh, that's something that I really didn't agree that much uh, compared to the, uh, the official remake. This, the final area as well, I, I preferred the more authentic uh, approach to it, your, your approach to it. It's a different point of view. Now, pivoting away from AM2R, uh, shortly after the after um, what happened to it, you were approached by Moon Studios to work on Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Could you tell us a little bit about how you were approached and uh, joined that project? Well, um, I was just uh, sitting at my desk one afternoon, and I did receive a an email from Moon Studios, and my first reaction was, of course, and not believe it because uh, I mean, how many studios reach out uh, unknown people to actually work on projects? I mean, it's a it's a pretty uncommon practice. Um, so I did research on this guy, and actually that, that turned out to be the CEO of uh, Moon Studios. And uh, after a couple of uh, Skype calls, the the, the the it was actually the real deal. Uh, Moon Studios is uh, is not centralized uh, at all. They are a distributed studio that works with people all over the place, and uh, they have the luxury of being able to recruit uh, the most talented people in every field, uh, regardless of their location. And uh, since uh, Thomas Muller, the CEO, actually stumbled upon M2R, and he did like the level design there, he thought that I was, uh, I was a suitable candidate for working on Ori 2. And yeah, the rest is uh, history. Well, the neat thing about that and with Moon Studios being able to do everything remotely is it gives them the opportunity to get people who are like truly passionate about what they're doing instead of just like limited to a certain area. You get like, okay, I'm going to get like the best of the best here. So that's kind yeah, of I mean, it, it's always... Um... It's always a little bit of an inconvenience when there is uh, this need to actually move, and if the um, if people actually have families, that becomes even more complicated. But so having right. the option to actually work at home, and this is not something for everyone. Uh, but if you're actually used to work at home and your English is more or less decent, um, yeah, it it's it's all about uh, talent, and uh, whoever has the most interesting portfolio is always a, a nice candidate. I I've been. I, I witnessed people uh, reaching out to, you know, join the um, to join the team, and uh, yeah, they always are in the lookout for uh, talent all the time. So, what has been different? So, how was your experience with Moon Studios? How's that been different um, working with Ori as opposed to working on AM2R? With the you know, aside from the fact that one was passion project volunteer and the other is a, a, a job <laughs> job. <laughs> no, but the thing is, uh, since I work using Skype and remotely, it was the the way of working is was very similar. Um, there was some sort of uh, project management going on and I was able to actually learn about it really quickly. 
So a lot of what I've been doing on the late stages of N2R was kind of similar to this. Uh, what did change a lot was the times uh, that everything uh, took to be completed. So if I needed to, um, I don't know, uh, commission art for the end of the game for M2R, I actually measured the uh, the deadline in in months, pretty much. So how many months is this going to be taking to be completed? Uh, in most studios, if uh, a designer needs something done, uh, it usually takes a couple hours, depending on the time zone, of course. Oh, so crazy. the pacing is completely different. And there's also people depending on my work, so they can actually do theirs. And that kind of dependency is uh, putting a pressure for people to do their stuff as soon as possible, so other people can continue on. So, yeah, it's uh, very dynamic. And every time you... Um, start working there there's usually people working from other from other time zones and um yeah it's there's always someone awake working on the game it's really amazing <laughs> that's kind of cool <laughs> um without uh spoiling anything are you able to tell us uh about a part of uh the new or game will of the wisps that you uh, either developed or had uh, an influence on uh yeah mainly a couple of things um many people actually see my names my name in the credit and since i am credited with just someone else um they assume that uh, there's only two people doing the design uh, the level design in the game but uh, we are really a design team that uh, we do quite a lot of um, collaborative work uh there's always a lot of iteration and many uh, points of view and every feature of the game, including level design. So, um, when an area is designed, there's uh, all the entire team is actually working on that, and we separate our uh, tasks uh, to actually make this a lot more manageable. Uh, but the thing that I consistently made the very first version of, uh, that's now in the game, are mostly the escape sequences. So. Oh. Yeah, and that was quite the challenge because that was a very dividing point in Ori 1. Many people did like them a lot, but quite a lot of people didn't like them much. And trying to identify the problems that those escapes had and uh, trying to make new escapes that have a proper difficulty curve, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite a process. Mm, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to this when we talk about the, the Ori games, but... Uh... Yeah, they <laughs> they can be very. They were definitely the most challenging part of the the first one, I think. So it's... yeah, there was quite a lot of uh, trial and error and things that you wouldn't be able to predict without knowing the layout already. So we tried to improve a lot on readability and showing the obstacles before the player can actually tackle, so they have time to react. That was one of the main focuses and. Uh, and also a nice, more smooth difficulty curve. The first escape comes at the middle of Act 1, and the subsequent escapes are going to be ramping up in difficulty. So mm. as long as you have the uh, the abilities that you've done so far uh, more or less practiced, and by that time you should, uh, you shouldn't have that much of an issue uh, completing that. And uh, once we actually started looking at uh, people's um, Let's Plays on YouTube, we we are actually kind of confident that uh, yeah we did manage to have a nice 
um, <laughs> difficulty on that. So there's not that many people frustrated with the early escapes, at least. Oh, that's great. So let's talk a little bit about Ori. That game is definitely an emotional one. <laughs> now, had you played Ori in the Blind Forest before you joined Ori in the Will of the Wisps? Yes. As soon as I finished M2R, I had the luxury of being able to enjoy free time and actually play stuff that I wanted to play. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, it's so awesome. You should try it. <laughs> So, um, I feel like people in gaming, like everybody I know, like me working, doing like more on the journalism and, and speaking side, I feel like all of us, we spend more time talking yeah. about and researching and working on and talking about games than actually getting to play them. Yeah. And at some time, if you are actually working on uh, game development and you have some free time, the least you want is to play video games because it feels like work. Oh, my yeah. my little girl comes every other time and says, "Daddy, should we play Minecraft together?" No, 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 no. <laughs> Bring up the dollhouse. We're going to make a tea party right now, little girl. <laughs> been, been doing enough building, <laughs> level building for. Yeah, for bring all, like bring up all the ponies. Of, uh, We're making a, yeah. a f amazing, awesome, uh, amazing tea party. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, uh, I know. Mm. It's. Uh, mm. It's kind of weird because in every game I do play, I do find elements that I want to um, borrow for my personal projects. And um, learning from other designers is also really engaging. But then again, it's actually the difference between uh, being a movie director and watching other people's movies and trying to dissect how the production went versus enjoying the movie as a moviegoer with, mm. popcorn, with popcorn in your hands. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do try to sometimes shut off my brain and uh, enjoy the game like a regular audience. And uh, by that time, I was enjoying uh, Action Burge, Guacamele, and the first Ori. And uh, by the end of the credits, I was, uh, of course, I was uh, crying. Uh, and uh, yeah, that, that ending was super emotive. And uh, yeah, I said, wow, I, sometime I would like to do something as special as this. Whatever. And now you and now you have. <laughs> I like how you mentioned how emotional the, the ending was because okay, so my my Ori and the Blind Forest story is I have the game. I had not played it until I went to PAX West last year. I had gone to like a behind closed doors and to no VIP event. I was helping uh, one of my friends get some footage for his channel. And so I was getting the I was playing through Ori and Within the first fifteen, uh, you know, the, the stuff that happens in the first fifteen Ooh, minutes yeah. is very sad. Um, I'm standing there crying, <laughs> trying not to make it how obvious that I'm crying. Bill Trinan is in the same room as me, and I'm like, I oh cannot make a scene right now because there are major people in here, and I just like, I'm feeling my nose start running, my eyes are watering, and I'm just like trying to keep it together the whole time, and then like I just told the rep, I was like, I didn't know this was gonna be a sad game. Ah, I really hope the <laughs> like, makeup this is wasn't worse than like Lion King level. I really hope the makeup wasn't that heavy that day no it was just natural that Oof. day i was good i get the good waterproof i, I know how to make it work <laughs> personally i i didn't play it before a couple of weeks ago actually i had it on steam for for a long time because i mean i've been meaning to play it uh i 
play a lot of Metroidvanias, so Ori was obviously up there on the list, but then uh, it came out on Switch. So I ended up waiting and uh, I kind of decided that I would play it before Wheel of the Wisps came out. And uh, now that it was finally coming out, I bought it on Switch and finished it a couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was <laughs> it was about as good as I expected. It's uh, it's another excellent uh, Metroidvania, and what really blew me away when I was playing was just the visuals <laughs> and the music. It's just it's on a completely uh, it's on another level compared to most of Metroidvanias that I've experienced. Uh, it's just it's so beautiful, you know. It's you just pause when you're playing. You just pause during the game and have to look at it. Uh, how uh, how beautiful it looks and how it sounds. I, you know, we, um, we were talking about the escape sequences before, and you know the music during those sequences is just it's completely out of this world. It's um, uh, yeah, it's amazing. So it, uh, <laughs> that game definitely wraps you in. Like it, you are completely mm. just in it when you are playing it. Like it it transports you to another world. Also, it definitely does. So. Uh, so I was uh, I was pretty much blown away, and uh, I'm really looking forward to, to playing the second one as well. I have uh, unfortunately only had a bit of uh, playtime with Ori. I played about 30 minutes of it. I think it would have been halfway through the game. Um, a friend had it, and he was up to that point uh, on his file, and he said, give it a try. So I did. And, um, I was struck by just how, how the, how the level design, it was beautiful. Um, so I've been playing, you know, tons of other things, but both of the Ori games are on my list. I'm going to get to them this year. I am going to play them and I'm sure I'll probably, uh, ugly cry. <laughs> Uh, at the f first 15 minutes, too. So what is everyone's favorite things about the games? Like, the visuals or gameplay and music? What exactly is it that you all like about it? Well, for my part, as I already said, it's definitely... Uh, definitely I mean, the level design is really, really good. Uh, and it has the right amount of challenge for me. Um, but it's definitely the visuals and the music that just, yeah, elevated the experience most for me. Ori is just so sweet. I just, I love Ori. But I, I like the level design. I mean, just everything about it is so wonderful. Um, I have not finished it because, like, I can't, I, I get, get too upset playing oh. <laughs> uh, Like, I cry harder in that than, like, in a Disney movie, I swear. Like, first 15 minutes of up is nothing. Like, that's nothing. Who cares? The, Ori. Mm. <laughs> but what I do like about it is even though it's like a Metroidvania game where you like you have to go all over the place, which that's a type that I've always like had a hard time with, like despite playing Metroid, like I, it's still because it's so used to like, oh crap, I can't go here yet. I have to go he this way and only this way and like reminding myself, no, it's okay. You can you can go multiple directions. It felt very natural in Ori, the the side, the backtracking and everything. It it just worked very well. Yeah, one thing that uh, Ori 1 has is that it's very streamlined. Uh, it gets very clear directions through level design where you have to go. And that makes it super smooth. I mean, the one thing that it has uh, this tendency is that uh, they give you many movement options, but they are going to be putting those options to the test. 
and uh, yeah that's why some people actually get quite stuck in some very tricky platforming places and especially the escape sequences so they are not afraid to actually give you challenges to overcome and you know put your uh, movement tools to the test for me my favorite aspect is also the level design the soundtrack just the very um nature of the animations and how fluid they are um i would love to see a metroid game like that if they could do something like that um with samus return style gameplay on switch so it's even more powerful that would just blow my mind hmm. all right so what gameplay elements introduced in ori would you like to see in a future metroid game I know for me, I would like to see, I know I would like to see there's the continu the continuation of it just being so streamlined and feeling, feeling the, the natural progression of everything of, instead of just the constant worrying of, I missed something. I know I missed something. It's, it, it feels right, I guess. Yeah. I, I think I agree. Just some, uh, maybe it's time for Metroid to, um, because for me personally, I much preferred aim to ours way of aim and 2R has a more uh, streamlined way of exploring, um, just just as the original Metroid 2, where you go to an area and then you do most you do most of the stuff there in that area without needing to backtrack, and then you move on to the next one. Uh, whereas Samus Returns has a lot has these elevators and this zigzagging between areas a lot, uh, to the point where it got too chaotic for me, and. I do think that Metroid could learn from Ori uh, in the manner that you were talking about, how uh, exploration is more streamlined. I think that would be nice. Yeah. Mm, personally speaking, um, we all know how Metroid plays with decent platforming. We all enjoy the travels are with Samus, and once you get the right amount of power-ups, uh, going through point A to point B can be super fun and super empowering. Uh, we all know, we all experience that, okay? One thing that I think Metroid could use, and it could be really interesting to see, is uh, NPCs and uh, world building of a place that I care about, okay? Because so far, uh, Samus has been on the situation of the lone bounty hunter in a very hostile place without any friendlies to give her advice or help. And that for the player is uh, a little bit... Uh, it might be a little bit, a bit harsh to assimilate at first, but uh, conquering that kind of challenge is super rewarding. But uh, if there was some NPCs or people that I do care about that uh, I am actually helping along the way, that could make the dynamics uh, of the entire universe a little bit more interesting. But, uh, but, but Doc, don't you remember me? <laughs> I mean, I said, I said Metroid <laughs> games. <laughs> <laughs> Samus does have friends, but most of them tend to die brutally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Read, um, uh, <laughs> read many yeah. of her uh, comrades in that game that uh, you clearly despise. Um, I do <laughs> like a couple of elements of that particular game, uh, and only a couple. Story and... Uh, the character development is not one of those things, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if if any if anyone is lost, <laughs> we're talking about other M. <laughs> Metroid other M. Uh, Roy. Well, I like the uh, fact that you know 
Inori. It's a Metroid-style gameplay with um, some, you know, two characters working together. Um, I would like to see that in a future Metroid game, whether it's a fusion sequel or uh, another midquel or reboot, where it's uh, Samus is with um, some floating companion, kind of like Ori, maybe a baby Metroid. Yeah, um, the baby Metroid at the end of. Uh, yeah, of they two. did kind of do that in Samus Returns, where, hmm. again, spoiler. Um, the game doesn't immediately end, and you can actually go around SR388 with the baby, and sometimes it will chew up those little crystal clusters uh, so that you can get some items. Um, so they did a bit of that, but what if they expanded on that? They had another Metroid, so not that baby Metroid that you know causes lots of uh, havoc just by being saved. Um, if they had another Metroid, or even a different kind of creature uh, that helps Samus in gameplay, uh, can help in combat, and maybe even add some co-op, um, that could be cool. As long as they, you know, keep to the general um, feeling and atmosphere of Metroid, sure, you're a little less alone, but you're still isolated <coughs> from most of civilization. Um and the core gameplay remains, but with uh, an added caveat of co-op. Well, thank you so very much for joining us. This has been a really fun discussion, very informative for sure. Uh, where can listeners find you if they want to see more of your work or if they just want to find you on social media or anything like that? Where can they find you? Okay, so my personal Twitter account is at uh, Dr. M64. I usually post my personal struggles with Unity and uh, some random stuff here there. Not as much as I should, I recognize that. Uh, for any news on AM2R or uh, Metroid in general, uh, you can find me at uh, AM2R Game on Twitter. And yeah, that's, that's the extent of my social presence. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so very much for listening. Um, if you have any questions you'd like to ask us, be sure to tag us on Twitter at ShineSparkers. You can also visit our website at ShineSparkers.net. My name is Amanda Van Heil. And how are we going to do it? How do we do the exit? I never remember how we do it. Uh, see you in the next mission. Duh. See you next mission. <laughs> see you next mission. Play, play, play the new Ori. <laughs> see you next mission. <laughs> see you next mission. And thank you so much for inviting me. All right, we're gonna go three, two, one, clap. Okay, I did. We'll try that one more time because I'm pretty sure we were all that off a little me. bit there. <laughs> For the record, that was not me. <laughs> That's okay. Alrighty, so. Yeah, my internet is kind of crappy, and everybody's uh, watching Netflix at the same time nowadays. So yeah, Discord is a little bit unreliable. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Shine Sparkers podcast. My name's Amanda Van Heil. I'll be your guest host. Not guest. Why do I say guest? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm not even a guest on here. I was thinking, I was looking at the word guest. I've got to not look at words while I'm doing my intro. Okay. So without without spoilers, can... Oh, wait, we already talked about that. Yeah, uh, um... in the... it's, on the... it's on the next page. Oh, okay. This I didn't one. even see the next page. How did I not see it? Okay, I'm so sorry. <laughs> mm -hmm, that's fine. That, no wonder I was all messed up. <laughs>
I mean, it makes absolutely perfect sense. If you're going to be uh, going through uh, pretty much a, a genocide mission to an unknown planet to tackle on very dangerous organisms, of course you're going to be going naked with a pocket knife. That makes absolute <laughs> right. sense. I mean, that's how I travel all the time. Of course. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, man. You know, I, I literally grew up with this development because I was testing this in high school. <laughs> In class, you know, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> so I pretty you're, so you're pretty much saying that I sabotage some of your grades. Uh, hi, I'm Torby. I'm the podcast editor, and uh, yeah. <laughs> hi, I'm Milton. I'm 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 making the introduction again just to mess around with Torby. Sure. You have to edit this. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, just messing around uh, with your editing skills. Oh. I mean, oh yeah, this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be a mess to edit. So yeah. Oh, that's all right. Hi, I'm Roy. I'm the deputy creative director of Shine Sparkers, and uh, I'm really excited about this interview. Pleased to meet you again. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is going in the bloopers, isn't it? Yep. Oh, shit. Yes. Do we have a blooper reel <laughs> here? Yeah. Yep, we have a blooper reel. Oh, no, I never saw in, in each one, we always remind Amanda of her concussion that she sustained. <laughs> yes. The first one, I, I was like right after I had a concussion. Ooh. And I'm going, you know what? I hit my head. I don't know. I don't know. I hit my head. Anytime I messed up. So now, mm. just anytime I mess up on something, you know what? I, I, hit, I had a concussion a few months ago. podcast was edited by Torby Brand, with music by Maserati. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider following our social media pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For the latest Metroid news, community features, and exclusive content, check out the website at shinesparkers.net. See you next mission.